Hi, I'm Ben, your host for the next hour, and you're listening to a Virgin Startup podcast produced with the support from our friends at Virgin Money. The podcasts are recordings of our free meetups, which take place every month. Check out virginstartup.org events to sign up for the next one. So today we're talking all about how to build your team and culture, one of the hardest but most important parts of startup life. Um, and to do this, we sat down with three brilliant young founders who are all working and care about this topic strongly. Molly Johnson-Jones from Flexer Careers, Hexa Hughes from Tourism Startup Unplugged, and Jim Woods from Better Space UK. Enjoy. All right, Hector's up first, and here's Molly from Flexer. And Jim has made it as well from Better Space. And that's why I should say Hector from Unplugged. Hector, how are you doing? Very well. Very All excited. Loud and clear. To Molly, let's hear here. you. There yep, you go. Very good. With, very happy with, to be here. With your fox on the wall. Uh, and Jim, can you hear us? Jim's present but silent. Uh, but that's a good team player, isn't it? Someone who's just like listening in, tuned in, but not annoying and interrupting. I'm sure Jim will be able to tune, join in the minute. So, yes, as I was just saying to Andy, uh, we're going to have a chat about teams and culture and all that good stuff. Um, and you are both, and Jim as well, um, have a really, really interesting journeys into your startup uh, worlds. Um, and so we want to dig into those. So before we get into your stories, I just wanted to ask up front for to think of... Um, Share a tool, something you use regularly in your team uh, that's really helpful, uh, whether that's a tech tool or something else. Um, Molly, have you got one? Mine is incredibly boring. It would always, it would always be Slack. <laughs> like, so why do, you, why do you love Slack in your team? Um, so we are very flexible, as when I introduce myself, it would make sense that we are. Um, we work around core hours of sort of 11 till 3, um, but everybody else is kind of on and off and doing their work as they see fit. And so we work quite asynchronously. We have about one meeting a week internally, I think. Um, and so having Slack, being able to leave voice notes, being able to keep on top of everything in the different channels means that we both can be a really productive team, but also build a bit of a culture of getting to know each other and being a bit silly and having having a laugh in some of the other channels rather than it all being via email, which I think doesn't have any personality. Yeah, yeah, you can't do it in real time, can you? Um, so I get the upsides of what you're saying about Slack, and I'm fascinated to hear more about your work, your your really innovative work culture. But um, the, the, the Slack also can feel like one of those tools that's always on, right? So, yeah. you know, there's notifications, there's a whole like, like social channel. So how do you manage that? So you're not, con you're not distracted by it? I think it really depends on like what your idea of I prefer the term like work life blend than work life balance and how you manage that. So for me, I actually don't mind my notifications always being on because it means that I can go to the gym at lunchtime and I can walk the dog and do some washing and manage my time as I want to and keep on top of everything at the same time. Um, but equally, we have other members of the team who don't have it on their phones. They just work ace in the morning till five and then that's them. That's them done. And they know mm. themselves very well. And I think there's a lot of, especially in the media at the moment, when people talk, you know, it's been like, oh, we shouldn't be able to send out of hours emails and all of this. Um, I think there's a lot of kind of negative attention and a lot of focus put on the company to manage that. Whereas I think actually half of it is also the, the responsibility is on yourself to know yourself and to know how you should manage your own workload. Yes, the company shouldn't be ringing you at 11 o'clock at night because you haven't done something or mm. contacting you on holiday. But as long as there are fair boundaries, then I 
think that it, the onus is on people to understand themselves and to understand how they work best. Now, Hector, listen, I just asked Molly for a tool and we've already got like a workplace <laughs> philosophy for the 21st century, which is it. I feel like we can wrap this up in a minute. What a start. Thank you, Molly. Hector, what do you, is Slack your uh, go-to tool for your team or is there something else that you find more valuable? Yeah, yeah, we, we, we do look at a communication on, on Slack. I'm, I'm a no-notifications man myself, but I, I agree with Molly that everyone's different in that regard. Um, in terms of, I'll give you a tool, but then also what I actually um, find more useful. So a, a tool that worked well at my previous startup, if you're a bit bigger, there's a tool called Donut, which is um, just connects random people on Slack each week. And it's just a good way, you know, the idea is you have a you know, 15 minute chat or, or virtual coffee, uh, especially when a team's remote, it, it actually just kind of, you know, helps you introduce the, the human elements of the people in the business and kind of builds empathy. So that works well if, for a, a tool. But in terms of where we are now, one thing I found um, that, you know, I'm trying to get better at doing is just kind of being really transparent about the business. Um, so I think, you know, fundamentally we can talk a lot about this and i'm sure we will that you're bringing people in and you're kind of you know trying to trust and empower them mm -hmm. um and i think to do that you really need to uh, or, or you know it really helps that to give everyone a, a great understanding of, of what's happening so it's, it's very easy in startups to kind of silo and you know for example your sales team or your marketing team have no idea what's going on in finance or you know what's happening with the product things and you know everyone should, should really know the good and the bad um, I think you've obviously got morale management as well. But, uh, but yeah, I just think, you know, being transparent upfront um, about everything is, is, is just the best way to get everyone pulling in the, in the same direction. Awesome. So let's do some storytelling. I know Jim is trying his best to get join this, join this conversation. We just can't quite get into the party yet. Um, hi, Lisa from Mighty Minds, who is developing a virtual reality mental well-being app for children through sport. That's a, that's a pitch in a sentence, isn't it? Um, and also Leah is doing, what's Leah doing? Uh, VBuddy's World, a VR platform connecting native speakers to exchange languages, culture, and knowledge. So it's some really interesting. Uh, Natalie Pierce is here, of course, who was with us uh, before, and she'll share what she's up to from the Future Kind Collective. So Molly, now you've got a hell of a story, but tell us, I know uh, we can't share it all in one go tonight, but tell us about your journey into starting Flexer and how you've built uh, brought people together and, what, and and the culture you've built yeah how do you how do you unpick that um go back I, to the start i think that there are there are two types of founders and i might be being reductive in this um but i've seen two types there are the types that really really they want to be a founder and they're just waiting for the right idea or to meet the right person to become a co-founder with and like their life's mission is to start a business mm. and then i think there's the other type of founder where you don't expect to necessarily start something um you have an idea and you start running with it and you think oh maybe i'm maybe i'm onto something and then it snowballs and it's too late um and i am definitely in the latter bucket so the accidental entrepreneur the accidental entrepreneur i mean like in hindsight when i look at the fact that i had the attention span of a fly and didn't really stay at a job for longer than about nine months maybe i should have considered it before um but I started off my career after leaving university I went into investment banking which is not the most notoriously creative nor entrepreneurial uh profession but I also have an autoimmune disease that means I'm technically classified as disabled and sometimes I can't walk um back then it was about once a week where like my feet would just swell up and stop me walking whereas now thankfully it's only once or twice a year the beauty of 
flexible working and managing your own time. Mm. Um, but when I asked to work from home once a week in investment banking, I was sacked straight away. Settlement wow. package. How far me. back are we going, Molly? 2016. So not far at all. You were sacked for, for asking for flexible working opportunities. Yeah. Um, wow. Settlement package put in front of me, told me to leave immediately. Couldn't even get my stuff. Wasn't even allowed back in the office. Nothing. It was such an awful thing to have done. Yeah. According to them. Um, and then I didn't, again, that kind of, I didn't realize at the time, but that's where the idea for Flexa kind of started. Mm. So I went through job hunting, um, found it incredibly difficult to find out exactly what it was like to work somewhere. To Hector's point of transparency, like I think you can start being transparent from the very beginning of someone engaging with your company with the idea to hire them. You know, you want mm. to let them self-select. What is on offer at your company? How are you going to work? What are they going to get from you? Mm. Um, and that is exactly what Flexa is and that's what it became so we launched in February of 2020 two weeks before the pandemic hit um, and Flexa is a platform that highlights all of the information about how you will work at a company so whether it's remote first or dog friendly or completely flexible hours or work from anywhere schemes and that's all verified by employees at that current company so it enables companies a to showcase their brilliant work environments and build their employer brand but also people to find out exactly what is going to be on offer at that company and find their perfect working environments um so we launched in 2020 we've now just closed the seed round so i think we've raised about uh just over three million pounds in total in fundraising and we are now a team of 10 and about to be a team of 15 in two months oh wow that's a big step up jim we're going to keep we're going to stick with your story body but i just want to say hi to jim Hello, I'm so sorry I'm late. Uh, we were having a few technical challenges at this end. What do you do with someone who turns up to a meeting 15 minutes late in your company, Molly? Um, they kind of probably just seamlessly join because we have that one meeting a week. So we <laughs> we just like, oh, they've appeared. That's fine. There you now. go, Jim. You're all right. <laughs> Jim, we saw we saw you for the last fifteen minutes dialing in, and 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 you know the machine's not helping. So thank you for being persistent and welcome. Um, oh. It's great to have you. So Jim's from Better, co-founder of Better Space, which I've been learning about because we've been starting to, we, we're on there with Rebel Book Club. So we'll come to you in a minute, Jim. So don't go away. Um, but Molly, so so you they, 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 you gave us a fantastic introduction to how how you started the journey and your and what, what's motivated you, and then you sort of leapt forward to obviously where you are now, which is a really exciting stage to want to explore. But let's dwell a, a little bit on that, um, the first step in terms of, you say we, so you started Flex with someone else? Uh, my then boyfriend, now fiance. Right. So, so quite, everyone always makes that same face. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I, I work on it. One of the businesses I work in, I work with a couple. So I, there's not three, there's four of us co-founders and two of them are or a couple and it works yeah. great so yeah. you know. um so we started that as a couple again neither of us we were both accidental entrepreneurs and i think we were accidental co-founders together as well um it was actually morris um morris's idea he was like well why we could create this platform and he was leaving his job at the time and i remember the time at which it sort of suddenly became real was um he saw him at it a lot and he'd actually handed in his notice with nothing else to do afterwards um he had a three-month notice period so i think he was like i'm done um and i came home with a giant whiteboard one day and was like you might as well start putting some ideas on it here we go um, date night with the whiteboard oh yeah all of our dates revolve around plexa like 
um we never stopped talking about it but that was where it definitely started and became a bit more serious um but neither of us are technical and in that and that when when you started to get serious about like we could do build this or we could go for this together did you establish rules straight away we're like okay relationship over here business partners over here you were just like let's let's see what happens I'm not really one for boundaries, as you can tell from my approach to notifications and things. I find it much easier to let everything be. Um, But I know that I'm quite unusual in that. No, we established no boundaries. We didn't even know who was going to do what. We just ran with it and it worked (laughs) somehow. Um, But I know that that's obviously quite unusual. I think it's because Morris and I think about things in quite a similar way, but we have very different skill sets. So when we handle stress in the same way, we handle situations in the same way. So it was like two people working on two different things, but with a very similar mindset and outlook. And that was why it worked. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because um, this idea of trust building and transparency, as you alluded to, Hector, earlier, is is like is is very similar to what a good, healthy relationship in life is all about. Um, And so it's a similar thing in business. And yet a lot of people are like, well, why would you go in with your best friend or even your partner? That's crazy. We recently um, interviewed for the podcast at Virgin Startup, um, two very successful startup founder couples, uh, Oddbox, uh, Deepak and Emily, and then Flashpack. Uh, Radha and Lee and and it, and Radha and Lee started with the first date you know in business plan it's a great yeah. it's a great story to listen to so plenty of you out there proving that wrong yeah. um we'll come back to where you are today in the next stage Molly but Hector take us back to uh what kicked off Unplugged yeah so if I if I take you back a little further um then out of university I failed to get on a grad scheme which was a blessing in in hindsight um and so a friend of mine said why don't you just apply for a startup work there for a year and then you can apply again next year for, for all the grad schemes um so i applied to 20 startups one of them offered me a job so i took that and it was ipad till systems so very random not an industry i expected myself going into um but it turned out to be uh you know a fantastic and, and very kind of formative experience so i was the second hire on the commercial side and over three years, we grew to 70 people, um, launched in the US and Australia, and uh, and then pretty spectacularly, well, fell apart. They actually since recovered and, and sold to Revolut, but my chapter definitely ended in failure. And we got a lot wrong with culture there. We got a lot wrong with hiring, um, plenty of other things as well. So anyway, coming towards the end of that in 2019, I was running growth at the time flying around the world to set up these off, all these offices and uh, spending all day on, on my phone. And I really started to just just kind of lose my my joy for life. You know, I was very much a kind of glass half full kind of guy, but, you know, really just ju- just kind of, yeah, was was laughing less, you know, was, was smiling less. And um, a friend of mine saw this and recommended a, a silent retreat he'd done in the Himalayas. And, you know, I initially kind of laughed this off, you know, what would the, what would the guys at work think or all of this kind of thing. Um, but eventually got myself out there. And it was this, you know, very picturesque Buddhist temple on, on top of a mountain. Uh, and the best thing about it was when you get there, they take your phone off you and you just spend 10 days cut off from the outside world. So... It was, you know, an incredible, incredible experience and, and very cliche, but I came back from that and quit my job a week later. Um, and that was off the back of a conversation with with Ben, who's my now co-founder. Um, so we were colleagues first, but then friends. So he was actually the first hire at this startup. And um, he'd left the year before, but we'd kind of stayed friends. And, you know, we'd always, we'd always um, you know, I, I think we kind of thought 
at some stage we, we might start a business together. But um, to, to Molly's point, I also wasn't particularly looking to start a business. It, it just kind of happened. Um, but yeah, we were chatting about it. Ben is not the kind of guy you'd find a silent retreat anytime soon. And we spoke about how, you know, there's a lot of stigma around retreats and meditation. Um, and so much of the benefit is just getting people offline and, and into nature. Um, and so, yeah, just saw a really interesting um, opportunity to, to kind of solve or tackle that problem, should I say. Um, and so, so yeah, I came up with Unplugged. And, you know, as, as you may know, it's we put cabins an hour from City Life. People go literally padlock their phones in a box. We give them a map and a Nokia and leave them to it. And they spend three nights offline in nature. So it's a, it's a kind of full digital detox. So we're somewhere between accommodation and, and a retreat. But, you know, again, it's, there's a lot of kind of, um, I think retreats are, are really just not psychologically accessible to a lot of people. Like, you know, not many people are, are, are really up for that kind of thing. So it's really about taking the people who are, burnt out living in London and just giving them a chance to, to switch off, you know, because uh, it was hard. And and I love the fact you, you know, you reflect on this sort of, I mean, I did this cliched thing, went to the Himalayas and now I'm building a retreats <laughs> company with unplugged sort of cabins and glamping and so on. But it's also the medicine that the, that people need and what well, you needed and now you're helping others with. And, and for anyone who's interested in like how you tell a story about an experience um, in this case, sort of halfway between you know retreats and, a, and a accommodation in the countryside unplugged uh, Hector and Ben and his team and naming it so check it out um, and just the language and the communication and it manages is so good around the expectation management of what you're going to get because you're going to you know there's plenty of great glamping places in nature but they don't say we're going to lock your phone away and they don't say you're here to unplug so it's very deliberate which I think you're doing a great job with um, so Hector, tell us briefly before we move on to Jim's story about like your team. Um, how do you when you're how do you practice what you're preaching or selling? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so I really think it comes from you know it, it comes from the founders fundamentally. Like we're, we're a team of five now, um, and you know it, it's it's I think it's hard as a founder of a business to not be not be always on because there is a very kind of fun addictive element of it um but i do think that you know if if we want people to um kind of switch off then kind of practicing that ourselves so you know trying great example is i try and go to our cabins every three months and, and actually do the digital detox you know and you know for example i i actually won't send emails you know over the weekend or in the evenings i understand molly's point but um in in there's also there can be expectation um and again it, it all depends how you communicate your team but to take an extreme example if your boss is you know steve jobs is firing off emails to you at 2 a.m 3 a.m 4 a.m in the night then then you kind of feel like you have to um you have to respond to that uh, in some cases so i think actually kind of practicing it yourself you know so much of culture comes from what you're doing yourself um you know whether that's how flexible you are as a company or how you switch off as a company, but you know, fundamentally, you can you can say everything, you can write everything on your careers page on the website, but it's all about how you actually act, you know, as the individuals, because companies are just a, a group of people, really. And it reminds me a little bit, and I don't know if, if this company is on your site, Molly, Doisy and Dan, which is a lovely little chocolatier uh, business brand. Um, and I remember meeting those guys at the start, and I said, oh, how are you running things? How are you operating? Because building a food business is so full on, right, early on. 
And uh, they were like, yeah, we work nine till five, uh, five days a week. And that's it. And I was like, well, well hold up. What do you mean? Because there's so much pressure. And they they do it as the founders and they clock in, clock out. That's just their way of doing it. And there's no email. There's nothing outside. And so everyone that's come in since has followed that. And if if it falls apart outside of that, it falls apart. And I said, do you, put the, do you really do this in practice? And they said, yeah, we do it. And we've done it from the start. And as a result, they've stayed stayed calm, same built a successful business at the same time. So there are different ways. Thanks so much, Hector. Jim, um, it's great to have you with us. Tell us a little bit about your journey to building Better Space and how you formed a, a team. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Sorry again for being late. Um, <clears throat> I really want to go on Hector's three-day wilderness retreat. That sounds so good. Um, yeah, so my journey is I've been an entrepreneur for about 21 years well since 2000 22 years um and i've done about five ventures over that period um but this this journey began four years ago when i lost my sixth friend to suicide and the 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 thing i learned from that was it's incredibly hard to, to help somebody when they're in deep distress that actually the time to help somebody is much earlier on um and where you can prevent them getting into that point in the first place so that was really my interest and um i joined something called zinc i don't know if you guys have mm. come think, which um is an amazing amazing thing we i joined the first ever mission of zinc um and for those who don't know zinc's like a sort of tech for good business builder and the first mission was mental health so very fitting for me and there i teamed up with my a uh, bearded Sardinian co-founder called Alfredo, who's like a tech guy. And we spent about six months just really doing system analysis on why is there a rise in mental illness in society? Where does power lie in the system to change that? Um, and, and our kind of our question was, what, <clears throat> what does a te- the Tesla for mental health look like? That was our mm. kind of question. And the, the more we looked at it, um, the more we realized that modern life is kind of undermining our pillars of well-being. So it's undermining our sleep. We're taking less exercise. Our diet is not as nutritious as, as it used to be. We're losing our habits um, and our hobbies. Um, we have more stress. You know, we have phones that ping and lots of things make us more stressful we so we were looking at how do you start to replenish those pillars and we kind of concluded that the uh the 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 system actor with the power is actually the employer because actually Mm. the the adult population is in employment so therefore we were kind of looking how does the employer build work that gives more to your mental health than it takes which is a very sort of simple thing. And it's quite, you know, it should be obvious. Work should should be good for your mental health because it's productive and it, it looks after you financially. Um, but actually so often it isn't that. And so we, we kind of then dug further and said, how can an employer better support employee mental health? Now, culture is a huge part of that. Um, and we do a lot internally um, that I'd love to share. But um, specifically, we wanted to help employers um, help their employees build well-being habits, things that would improve their resilience, um, that would make them less likely to end up in a place where these six friends of mine ended up. Mm. 
And it's what I love about both of Zinc and what you've done with that is is the deep research into like why we need to do this and how we're going to do it. So what does Better Space look like today, Jim? And and what's the team? Yeah, so we're a team of 22 people. Um, we're we're quite remote. Um, we do have offices. We go have X and Y that we um, can all go to. So it's kind of up to you how you want to work. Um, we have really what you would simply call a well-being benefits marketplace. Um, so all the best things for the mind from prevention through to recovery, from apps to books to Rebel Book Club to, um, <clears throat> yeah, just a whole, about 600 things for each employee, personalized to each employee, where the employer is only paying for what they use. So it's very capital efficient model. It's kind of a new, new category in the market. Um, we launched a year ago. We've got 25 clients, got about supporting about 20,000 employees. Um, <clears throat> got clients like Accenture, Linklater. So it's, it tends to be the kind of the very progressive employers who are, feeling the great resignation they're look they're seeing well-being as a core part of their employee proposition um and they want to kind of you know go deep into supporting their well-being and the cynic would say oh it's really exciting by the way what you're building and we're part of it and we've seen the inside of it and it, it it's it's rare, very user-friendly from a partner's point of view um yeah. but the cynic would say hold on a second these employers are just paying they're just paying for their staff to access well-being you know when they want it it's not really an internal culture shift there what's your is it how do you work with these businesses to, to show that it's actually more than that or what are you seeing them do yeah and i think the cynic is would be right um if if all you do is give them better space if you're a law firm that where people work absolutely crazy hours they have no time to look after their well-being and you give them better space it's almost an insult um, yeah, culture is so critical. So we this tends to work well with employers who have um, a well-being culture in place that are building psychological safety within the organisation that have whole variety of cultural initiatives that that add up something. So mm. yeah, I, I think you're exactly right to to say that um, we we don't want to be a sticking plaster. We kind of really want to work with companies who who are creating the time giving people permission to look after their well-being then better space works really well fantastic so you're all building businesses that are actually helping people in this world of uh, a better type of employment experience or at least a, a recovery from it in hector's uh, place but what i want to move to now is like how we go from uh, that core founding team so molly and, and Mo is it morris Morris, yeah, Hector and Ben and Jim. How many co-founders did you start with? One other, Alfredo. Alfredo. Oh yes, the bearded Sardinian. Yeah. Yes. So, so you also, So, how did you go from that initial co-founder, uh, the two of you, to uh, employing your first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and now I know you're beyond that, Molly and Jim. So, Molly, what was that that sort of strategy to getting onboarding your first couple of team members? Yeah. So it started as Morris and I as co-founders, and we actually do have a third co-founder. Uh, called Tim, who is our technical co-founder. And the realization for us was we couldn't build Flexa. Um, we would have to consider outsourcing it. Um, we knew that it would be harder to raise without a technical co-founder. And we didn't want the risks of it being very far away and being very expensive um, right. by other people. So we were very fortunate um, to find Tim, who is an amazing developer and had just sold his business to Oliver Wyman. 
and was doing an earn out there. Um, and he came across us on Angel List of all oh, places. Wow. Um, we met him for a coffee, told him the idea, and he was like, yep, I'm in. So um, you listed um, Flex on Angel List, not because you were quite ready to raise, but just to prepare for that moment. Find, to find a CTO specifically. Okay. Um, so we said said that. We met him. He was like, yeah, book it. I'm in. And then we started building it. Um, I think that was October 2019. And we launched in February 2020. Okay. And that was a very, like an MVP or was it? Very, it was yeah. Just, it was very okay. much an MVP. It was, we were still working. Um, I was working part-time. Morris was contracting. Tim was working full-time. Um, we definitely didn't, you know, sack in our jobs and then decide yeah. to go with this. Like we wanted to prove it to ourselves that that had traction and that people actually wanted it. Um, so we set ourselves a target with the MVP of 8,000 users and 25 trial companies. Um, and we said that we wanted to achieve that hopefully in six months. We got there in 10 weeks, which was very exciting. What was the hack that led to, to the fast growth? Um, we launched with users so we put a small amount of google ad spend behind a landing page that basically said what we were doing got people to sign up to it and that meant that we had liquidity on both sides to actually okay. launch with. and i think once you have obviously sort of a marketplace more b2b to c yeah. um and that you need that in order to grow you can't just wait for people to trickle in slowly so that was definitely one and i hate the word hack but like hack that actually did yeah me... we, whatever word we want to use to describe getting that momentum at the start yeah, yeah. Um, um and then otherwise it was it was really never underestimating the power of brand equity and marketing and just saying yes to everything and getting yourself everywhere yeah. And when you're in that kind of messy, I know messy is the right description, but it's when some of you are still working, <laughs> you're like, I mean, this is obviously the world that you love, Molly, I and mean, it's all going on in different times. But for some people, they find that transition really hard, right? So it's like, you're working full-time, I'm part-time, he, he's got that equity, she's getting that like wage, we're trying to bring on someone else, CTO, he's, he's, he's coming in with more skills. How do you figure that bit out? Focus on the stuff that once you make the decision, you can't go back on it. You're going to like totally stress yourself out by trying to make the right decision for everything. You just need to focus on the stuff that if if you make that decision and it's wrong, then it's a big fuck up. If the rest of it is small decisions, then don't stress as much about it, like prioritize it and try as hard as you can to just sort of go with the flow and learn from what's happening because you'll think that you have the right idea for things. You think that you know the answer. And then two weeks later, two months later, you'll realize that you absolutely didn't. Um, so trying to learn as much from the mistakes as well as the right decisions. That's yeah, actually kind of open. And, and Jim, has that been the same for you as you built your team out? Has it been just like, look, this is where we're going, come and join us, we can't make promises, or how have you structured it? Um, <clears throat> I mean, we, uh, I think we initially, we wanted to see if we could pilot this, if, if there was an employer who was willing to do that, and we found link laters, um, who are willing to do it with 50 people. That that enabled us to raise a bit of money. And with the money we raised, we then hired our probably first two or three people. Um, and then Alfredo built you know, a very basic platform that could, would it allow allowed it to be tested. Um, we got really high engagement rates off that. Linklates were really happy with it. So that enabled us to raise a bit more money and hire a few more people. And we did some some more pilots. Then we... Um, did a much bigger pilot with Linklaters got really outstanding results, and then we raised a bit more money again. Um, and then, uh, <clears throat> yeah, so I think by that point, 
yeah, we hadn't brought in a VC yet. Then we uh, launched the platform with a team of about 10, about a, just over a year ago. And um, we launched with Accenture and various others. And then that enabled us to raise a VC round. So we've raised about three, three million by this point. And and had the for those that you bought on from beyond you and Alfredo, were they all just simple paid structured jobs, or was there equity discussions, or was there you know vesting options? Like how did you, without going to the details of them, but like in terms of your strategy, what was what did you do? Yeah, we've we've always had a policy of um, giving options to key people, um, which okay. we've done from from the beginning, and, and I think it's really important. But I think the most important thing for us has been the mission. So, you know, we're, we're on a mission to tackle the mental health crisis that attracts people who share that uh, personal mission. And I think that's really been the glue between all of us because you know, it's always so damn hard and stressful setting up a new business. Um, and it's, it's, people, it's where people's personal missions and the business mission align that you get that kind of glue that people are just going to put in whatever it takes to get things over the line um so yeah i I think it's it's the mission that's the glue and and i mean come to you hector in a second on the same same question but in terms of practicing what you preach or helping you know the problem that you're trying to resolve in the world not happen in in your team how how do you manage that so that you are um a healthy uh working culture is that to, to myself or jim no i was, I was going to stick with jim on this one and i want to come to you sorry then come to you hector so i just say so so jim you obviously your mission there is very clear the pain point from why you started it how are you making sure that stays embedded into your culture so that people who are passionate work because you see this point that happens sometimes that people are very passionate they work really hard on a mission-driven business and then burnout can come or we haven't got the set. We haven't got enough cash in the business, or we haven't got you know other technical stresses. So, how have you managed that so far? Yeah, we are constantly working on it, and and we're lucky to have um, our chief operating chief operating officer Helen is really passionate about culture. Um, so we're you know we did last week a team day in Birmingham where we all worked on our personal purposes. How they relate to the company purpose. Um, we yeah, we're constantly doing that. But it, but we also have a number of sort of structural things in place. So we have well-being time. So everyone has four hours a week that they can use to do things that are good for their well-being, from having a nap to going for a walk to chatting with a friend. Um, we give everyone fifty pounds uh, a month on better space that they can spend on things that are good for their well-being. Uh, but I think it's the, probably the most important thing. And I did do a kind of a LinkedIn um, post on this before before we came on and I asked my team to kind of um, just t- say what was most important to them. And I think, you know, the, they, the themes that came across is well-being is part of the culture, not adding, not added on. Um, right. psych- psychological safety. Um, so w- every week we rate our well-being for last week from 0 to 10. Uh, this week I was four which is one of my lowest scores and then you then go in and explain why that was people share incredible things like you know uh very personal things and every time someone shares something that gives permission for other things to share uh, other people to share things and it creates this culture where you can just be completely open you can be completely yourself and that um 
people love. Um, you know, and we have like stand ups um, every day, but in their different formats. Two of them you can't talk about work and you're randomly allocated to different people on Zoom. So you just have to build relationships. So I think it's a combination of being really intentional and constantly creating these moments for the the mission and personal missions to be considered, as well as structural as well, things that just constantly keep people on it. That's great to hear. And that's really helpful. Thank you, Jim. And, and, that, and that saying down here on the chat, well-being, yes to well-being, part of the culture, not an add-on. It's like this whole thing with, you know, what CSR or charitable aspects of businesses mm-hmm. used to be. Or like, oh, we'll do that with whatever at the end, rather than what we're seeing now, purpose-driven. You know, we're trying to solve a real problem in the world at the center. So yeah, all to, all power to those shifts. Um, Hector, in Unplugged World, um, what what's your sort of working values? Because you are like you've got to you've got to get bums on seats or bums in cabins, right? You've got capacity goals to hit. Um, what happens when you get behind those? How do you how do you get your team to you know drive forward? Yeah, for sure. So it's um, we kind of came at it from an interesting place because we had seen culture people um, etc. go so wrong at this previous startup. And so wrong is a bit dramatic, but you know fundamentally, I, I think. Jim touched on a really important phrase there, which is psychological safety. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the, the good cultures, the bad cultures, it, it's almost binary in terms of, you know, that's what what really kind of divides it. Um, so, you know, really, we kind of came into this a little bit scarred, to be honest, from the, the previous experience and, and very cautious um, in terms of how to, how to go about building that team. So for the first year after launching, it was just myself and Ben. Um, in hindsight, I maybe would have brought someone in a, a bit earlier, but I think what that really did allow us to do is really get stuck into all of the different parts of the business and just figure out, um, you know, get a good understanding for how everything works so you can then bring in people uh, better than you to, 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 to run it, really. So, um, so yeah, we did that for the first year, and then we brought in a head of operations and have since brought in um, a kind of head of growth and uh just ahead of marketing now as well. So we were a, a team of six people now. And I think who like who you hire is super, super important for culture. Um, and some of the things we really look for is like j- just just nice people, you know. I think that is actually just really important. Um, because you know, nice people who are also um egos is another big one, like people who are just just humble you know because like you get a big ego in there and it's you can do all of the team building activities and the challenge is like typical recruitment processes do not they're the opposite of those two things right you have to shouting and forced to shout about yourself or the ones that shout the most get get the most attention so what have you recruited for those two core values yeah for sure so you know really just try and turn the kind of um you know the the initial conversation into a conversation you know so rather than kind of keeping it too frameworky and, you know, focus on, I think it's very easy to like focus on filling out a Google doc um, that you can then be shared with the team and you kind of lose sight of the person you're actually talking to. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you really kind of chat with someone, you can usually um, get a good idea of, of uh, who they are as a person. One of my favorite interview questions, which is, a, again, a massive cliche is, is what's your weakness when it comes to work? Just because it's super, it's so revealing what people say to that. You know, some people literally cannot come up with an answer for that. You know, or, or, or like it's not a real answer. Um, and I think you know, you, you just want that level of self awareness because actually, 
Um, I do think it can be developed. So, you know, if someone can't answer it now, then there's always stuff they can do to work on that. But, um, you know, if, if you haven't got that level of self-awareness, then when things go wrong, because I really think good culture is about that psychological safety. Fundamentally, it's about, you know, being able to fail. And failure is just, you know, the start of a conversation. Okay, why did this thing go wrong? It's no one's fault. You know, as soon as you get into a, um, the kind of blame game is what happened at our previous startup. It was, you know, whose fault is this? Why are sales down, you know? And you, you, you are no longer thinking about how do we solve this problem um, and what's actually going on. And you're no longer like kind of on the team trying to solve that because, you know, fundamentally it, it's when cultures go wrong, it, it becomes you're competing, not collaborating. Uh, and I think that's really easily done. So it's how do you main, maintain that collaborative environment um, and you know, who you bring to that is everything, especially the, the first few hires, because, um, you know, your, your first I mean, five, 10 hires, if you're growing uh, a lot as a company, they're going to go on to hire 10 more people, you know, mm-hmm. and if, um, you know, if they have, uh, you know, characteristics or, or tendencies that, you know, you don't want in your culture at scale, then you can bet it's going to, it's going to get there. So, um, so yeah, who you hire is, is super important. I think I would hire, hire slow in, in that regard. You know, sometimes you've got to make a quick decision. You've got to get it done in a week, but really, really think about it because it's, you know, the, the people coming into the business are the biggest, um, the biggest impact on, on where you're going. When Sam is asking this question, it's high, you know, we've heard this, this phrase, hire slow, fire fast. What What's our feelings on that? That sounds like Hector, you're on, that's your sort of, thinking i'm sure you're not in the firing fast yeah. stage of your business no, I, yet but yeah we we fortunately um everyone we've hired has, has worked out and we're in a good place there but I, I i definitely believe fire fast you know if it's not working um it's best for everyone involved if if you end it you know like if if you're feeling bad about it they're probably feeling bad about it as well so yeah. just rip off the band-aid because it, it affects everyone wait is it not molly you're nodding along so it's a simplistic approach but do you agree in essence yeah, of course, there are different nuances and different circumstances. Um, and I do partially agree with Samir's point of like, have you done everything to help them? But equally, there is a limit to how much you need to help as an employer. I think if someone is unable to do their job um, or, you know, is the opposite of what Hector says, nice people that are humble, there's a limited amount that you can actually do. And I think that especially when you're small, as a startup, having one person who is either unable to do their job um, will have a massive impact on your productivity and success as a team. And also somebody who isn't a nice person and doesn't um, respect or appreciate people definitely shouldn't be allowed to stay in that company because it can very quickly ruin the culture. Absolutely. Um, I just wanted to come back on something uh, that Jim said around psychological safety and scoring himself four out of 10. And and then before the end of this, in a few minutes, I want us to do a day in a life of our own work culture from our perspective and <laughs> share that with people. Um, so, so Jim, you said you scored yourself a four out of 10. I'm sure we've been there. I, I know sometimes, I, maybe it's completely different for you, but I sometimes come log on or come back to work and I'm like, it's not quite where I hoped it would be, whether it's the numbers or there's a bit of negative feedback. And they're always, you know, the small things and they trigger this feeling of like, oh, but we wanted to be here. And we're like, we set our plan in this direction and it's not quite going or we haven't got the momentum that we'd hoped to have by, you know, Q2 or whatever it is. So how do we all in those situations not pass that on? Because I, I feel like sometimes I'm not very good at, 
dealing that with myself first and then going, okay, I'm recognizing this feeling. I'm going to share it with, with the team, but I don't want to start with this feeling of like, oh, you know, mm, lowness and sort of like, ah, oh, it's sluggish. I want to come in and give help give the energy. What's your what's your reflections on when you do feel like that? Um, I'd love to just go around the circle. So, Jim, mm. how do you deal with that yourself and your team? Yeah, I mean, I think by being very open and honest about way, where you are um, and trusting your colleagues with that information. So when I scored myself four out of 10 for last week, um, there was a lot of stress going on in the business, but I also have a daughter with anorexia at home and you know these are really complicated um things and i and i really trust my colleagues with with that information i guess i'm trusting you guys with that information mm. as well mm. um and and i think when you when you go into that very open world of trust when you you, you kind of have to build trust by by sharing and then people receiving well um then you can be crazy open i find i mean like we have really open conversations with not just about personal life but also about you know work and what we think about life uh, what we think about you know what we're doing at work and you know our is our sales strategy working so i i think it's really establishing that very open culture trusting each other um but it's it's a lot of work you have to really keep at it every day um to get there yeah, it's great. It's it's just I'm just listening to you all tonight, and I'm here seeing this in the comments. Well, people are just really reassured that like oh oh people who start businesses really do care about their teams as well as the mission as the business. I know they're integral integral, right? Um, Molly, when you're on a when you're feeling frustrated, down, whatever it is related to work, how do you deal with that with your team? Um, I think it's a really good question, and I think Jim, obviously, what you do totally works for you, and you've built that culture. But for me, I actually disagree with sharing everything um i think that i feel and i think it's very personal and subjective i feel that i have a duty of care to my employees to make sure that they feel secure and happy and that they don't take my stress with them so i tell some stuff you know when i think that it's appropriate to do so but you know we've been six weeks away from running out of money did they know that no. Six weeks? That's ages, Hector. <laughs> um, and I, you know, if we'd actually thought, or oh, we're not going to be able to, you know, we could have made that loss. We would have been able to pay yeah. people for much longer than that. But at the current burn rate that we were at, um, and because of the fact that we could have kept paying people for six months, we were like, well, we're not in a position where we need to put that stress onto people. That was our stress to bear. And I think that's the same with, you know, when you're not meeting projections, you're having difficult conversations with investors if they needed and wanted to know that, then we, they'd be starting their own business and be happy and willing to put up with that level of stress. But people go into careers um, and jobs, I think, for some level of security and for some ability to switch off at the end of the day. And of yeah. course, I know that you can manage those conversations and make sure that people don't worry and they'll trust you as a leader. But um, for me, I would feel quite uncomfortable with them with them knowing that because I know in, in their position, I would take their stress onto me. And and if it's related directly to what you're working on with the team and you're really frustrated, how do you deal with that particular when it when it is out in the open amongst you? Yeah, I think it's you have to really check yourself um, yeah. and make sure that you're not 
blame, not blaming. Um, you're not getting frustrated with somebody because you're frustrated with the situation. So I think being very introspective and very conscious of how you're reacting to people in mm. that. Um, and ultimately giving people a space to be able to brainstorm and have ideas and come to a conclusion together. Mm. I think it's really, really important rather than you just like flapping and panicking. I think ultimately at the end of the day, it's your job as a founder to save it. So <laughs> you can't really take everything out on on people. I think it's trying to treat those situations as constructively as possible. Get everybody's brains in because 10 brains are better than one. Um, yes. But ultimately, if it's really stressful, like that is that is your stress to sort out. Yeah, I, I yeah. And something that I've seen working really well in our little team is a shout out to Anka and Emily here, who I work with regularly on Rebel Book Club, is that when I'm like, oh, this is really annoying. This has happened. And their reflection is obviously, this is so interesting that they see it this way. And it's like, rather than at this personal sort of attack on us as, a, as an organization, which doesn't happen much for Rebel Book Club, but it's more a case of like, oh, is it interesting that campaign didn't work, but there's something going on here. And so I think it's finding that balance, isn't it, in your conversations. So let, let's, we are, we've got, we've run out of time, but I want to go once round and just ask you all about your day and your kind of work life. So people get an insight into some realities here. So Hector. Uh, you wake up in a jacuzzi in a field. Yeah. You do three yeah. hours of mindfulness. <laughs> then you yeah, do a so, couple of emails and then you're like, great, back, back to the cabin to read three books. Something, it's something like that. So um, I, yeah, we, we, we're, we're pretty kind of um, flexible in how we work, very much inspired by everything Molly and the, the team are doing. Because, um, you know, it, it's really become apparent um, just how different everyone does work. So we, as a, as a company, we meet, and I'm not directly answering your question, we, we try and get FaceTime Mondays and, and Fridays just to, to kind of really hash it out and kind of um, you know, figure FaceTime out. IRL, not through an app. Yeah, real, yeah, real life, real life. Okay. Um, you know, we're in a position we can do that and, and everyone's okay. pretty up for that, but I know uh, that doesn't apply for to, to all teams. Um, but yeah, in terms of my day, I... I do practice what I preach, so I, I try and stay off all devices between um, 6 p.m. And, and 9 a.m. I know we've run over today, but I'll, um, <laughs> I'll I'll leave it off for another hour tomorrow morning to make up for it. Um, so, so yeah, I, I you know the morning I will take off, and then um, still you know being a founder, I'm still thinking about work. I'm still like writing, you know, walking, yeah. kind of pondering, um, and then I yeah, I, like me and so so everyone really is kind of left to their own devices. Honestly, we just the people we have in the team you know everyone's kind of trusted and empowered and i think um the environment is, is very much that so in terms of how i work um my co-founder ben is the kind of guy who will sit down with a problem and really just just figure it out in eight hours whereas i will like you know fret better with the problem like, oh god you know this seems like a lot of work and then i'll like talk to some people and like just and then you know eventually an idea might pop up so um yeah it's really interesting how different even the two of us are working so you know I, I spend most of my day kind of flitting around meeting people and and, and chatting and, and generally pondering and um every now and again i try and get a bit of work you done. see everyone and this guy is a successful founder he's just flitting around having <laughs> conversations all day and he's building a killer brand and business it's possible and then my, and then my i know you're a hard worker Hector. you're underplaying yourself really but yes i get the out. i get that your your approach isn't is different to what your business partners is, yeah. which is great. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. I mean, it's such a I'm you know in, in constant um, 
kind of uh yeah just haven't really made up my mind on, on what the, you kind of feel guilty sometimes but then mm. i also think you have to lean into how you best work um and you know j- just just challenge the assumptions that hey you need to work you know a nine to five and everyone needs to be sitting in an office together and, and molly can talk more about this than me but um you know it, it's really about you know are you making the stuff happen that needs to happen uh, again yeah. like at my previous startup i was running growth for the last year and I wasn't particularly good at it um, or any of my roles there. And I um, w- would, to make up for that, I'd just work all the time. Um, and I think a lot of that was driven by insecurity. It was like, I don't really know what I'm doing, so I'm just going to get really busy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I still don't work that much now, but I still waste a lot of time, you know? Like, I can spend two or three hours in the afternoon just wasting time on emails. I, I call it wasting time, you know? But, but like, yeah. busy work creates busy work, you know? So like, actually, there's probably just one or two things that really need to happen today. Um, and there's just a lot of noise. And you know, like, even now, my inbox is just full of lots of noisy things that, you know, I, I'm trying to get myself to archive, but, but I just I just can't quite bring myself yeah. to do it. So I think there's, uh, there's, there's a whole other discussion, but this idea of like the, the three things that really need to happen in order for those things, three things to happen lots of me- meandering and wandering and interactions have to happen elsewhere. And then yeah, this, this idea that you can do 100 productive things in a day is, um, and, and it for be to sustainable and not burn out and everything else is a myth, I think, from what I've seen so far. Jim, give us a quick insight into your working day. Uh, so I wake up at 6.30, <clears throat> go for a run every day um, for about half an hour, listening every to... Day. Every day? Every day, every day. Humans, like, I didn't think they existed. I thought it was all a myth. <laughs> I, uh, I love day. It's, it That's totally, fantastic. totally sets me up. I listen to good podcasts. Like this morning, I was listening to Alistair Campbell and Rory Stewart. Um, oh, yeah, then you, yeah, yeah, which you know, which is really good. And then, then I have a couple of hours of just quiet time working, and then we have our daily stand up at nine thirty, and then it's a whole bunch of Zoom calls, really Zoom and working through till you know, usually like seven. Then I'll play cards with the kids, um, have dinner, might do a little bit more <clears throat> after dinner. But yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's to me, none of it's work. That's the, people talk about work-life balance. I, I, I stopped working about 10 years ago when I started working on purpose-driven things. Um, yeah. And they're just things that I care about. I, I care passionately about them. But, uh, and I think that really helps um, from a kind of burnout point of view. If you, if you really yeah. enjoy what you're doing, then, uh, yeah yeah and it comes back to what you were saying at the top molly about the work-life blend so tell us a little bit about what your daily blend looks like i'm I'm sure it shifts in multitudes but typically um i'm not a morning person so i wake up 8 30 or 9 take the dog for a walk grab a coffee um on slack and emails that entire time i'm not really an example of like how to manage work and life and but at the same time, um, it does work for me. And when I've tried to divide it up, it actually has been negative for my mental health. So I think it's about knowing what works. Um, we have an office. So sometimes we'll go there if we feel like it. Other times we won't. Uh, no one else goes apart from once a month because they're all around the UK. But we needed that space away from home as a couple. Um, so we'll go in, working emails, I go to the gym at lunchtime. Um, we just keep working until probably sometime between five and about nine. Really varies um maybe go play tennis or go for a run in the evening cook some nice supper carry on with emails and slack 
and that all just kind of repeats and I think to the point of Hex's where he, he said you know your the founder's behavior influences things I think that is true but just because you exhibit and role model one behavior doesn't mean that somebody will completely mimic it like how fluid and flexible my day is I know shows to everybody else at Flexa that they can model their day however they want to and it doesn't mean that they have to be checking notifications just because I do. It's about managing your time in a way that works for you. And we monitor that very, very carefully. Like if people yeah. are working late into the evening, is you know, are you doing this a lot? Do you have too much work? What time did you start? And they're like, oh, midday. I'm like, ground, like that's fine. <laughs> so you are <laughs> checking in on those things. Yeah, yeah. Always. Um, and I think that's an important thing to do is to check and to know when people are online and to know all the time what people are, you know, feeling and thinking and are they happy and with flexor careers and, and obviously in practice in terms of your business but also um your culture you're building i think yeah. we've heard of course with, from jim and hector as well this this is a very clear antidote to everything that we're seeing in mainstream media at the moment especially yeah. in the kind of if you're not in the uk but right-wing political press here is is all about like this ah oh, we've got to end work from home culture and and practice because covid's over in inverted commas yep. and uh, actually what we've seen is like a lot of people who unlike us haven't had that world or that experience have now discovered part of it and are figuring it out and realizing it's better and I'm, I'm currently if anyone's interested I always do a book recommendation just because uh, the nowhere office um, you guys probably don't need to read this because you're practicing it in brilliant ways uh, but it's reinventing work in the workplace of the future and it's kind of like the story of how we got here and where we're going so if you want to explore, that's a good wreck. Okay, um, Jim, Hector, and Molly, thank you so much for giving us your uh, flexible from home time this evening. Um, you're all, all inspiring leaders. And as people have said in the chat tonight, they feel like it's so reassuring to having people who care about their people as much as they care about their missions and they all go together. So, um, so thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you found it useful, please share it with other founders and rate and review it online. For tickets to our next meetup, head to virginstartup.org. I look forward to seeing you there.